the DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, dialing into your favorite podcast app, which obviously is not iTunes because uh, we're still hanging out in the iTunes purgatory that uh, John Calismo and uh, Jake Burns have been in for weeks. But this is a Dogs by Nature uh, network, DBN network. Um, we are recording our second podcast of this season as we look to make this a much more regular thing. Uh, my name is Josh Finney. I'm joined here by, as I just mentioned, John Calismo and Mike Krupka. How are you doing today, fellas? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> um, we, uh, we we clearly have a very structured approach to doing this. We have at least five things written on the back of a bar napkin here that we're going to talk about. But generally speaking, um, we're going to talk about uh, what's near and dear to us on this Wednesday, uh, September 19th, as we head into what uh, John called earlier the Armageddon of the season for Hugh Jackson. <laughs> um, I won't put you on the spot, but um, I think that that's a really appropriate name for game four here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, I could see this coming when I was looking at the schedule. Um, I thought that we, we would have a chance in that Pittsburgh game, uh, just starting off the season there and then uh, going to the Saints. I didn't have a lot of hopes for that, even though um, even though I, I, it turns out that the Browns are weirdly really good against the Saints. They I mean, are. Uh, they are. So so they just seem to like kind of uh, have a way of uh, beating Drew Brees somehow uh, that few other people can claim. But uh, looking at that schedule, I saw, uh, you know, a possibly winnable but still tough game against the Steelers, a, an ugly game um, away at the Saints. And then with especially with Baker on the bench and the kind of comparisons they're going to draw uh, a Sam Darnold led Jets team on a short week. Uh, you know, on national television. And I just thought that if we lost a couple to start the season, which we basically did, I know we tied, but (laughs) (laughs) it would just set up this terrible scenario where, you know, you get a little flashbacks of, you know, starting the season off against Wentz and getting destroyed in 2016, uh, where, you know, now we're on the redux here uh, for people. A lot of people liked, um, you know, Sam Darnold better than Baker. So, you know, if, if Sam comes and lights us up, I, I just can't imagine, uh, you know, the uh, status over in Berea. The pitchforks will be out. Yeah, uh, what do you not, think, Mike? Yeah, I, I think before Mike goes, I think it's really easy to imagine the headlines that come from Sam Darnold coming in while Baker Mayfield sits on the bench. And it's really easy to imagine why that's going to get the fan angst up. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, let me jump in, guys. I, you know, I I kind of see it in the exact opposite light. I think – I don't know if it's Armageddon per se for the Browns. It's definitely Armageddon for, I think, the coaching staff. They're going to be at a crossroads. But I think the team is kind of – record aside has exceeded my expectations in at least being competitive in games, which I think is a, is a plus. It's given me literally something to cheer for on Sundays up until, you know, the, the waning moments of the fourth quarter um, and or overtime. But uh, I think the team has been performing well, but the coaching staff, starting with Hugh Jackson and uh, especially on the offensive side, has been pretty poor. So I think for those components, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what changes are made, if if any. But at this point, I I don't have much, much hope Uh, on the defensive side. I, I, I kind of expect us to to give it to Sam Darnold um, tomorrow night. I think I think we have a good chance to, to, to really set the pace with our defense and then go from there. So that's kind of where I'm at going into tomorrow night. 
It's you know it's kind of strange that um, we're in a place where I think that most Browns fans entered this season and saw the Saints and the Steelers on the schedule and said these are going to be two really tough games out of the out of the gates. That they, these are going to be two teams that um, are traditional playoff contenders, and regardless of how close we played them um, over the last couple of years, and, and that's especially especially true with the Saints, as you mentioned, John. Like for some reason, we just seem to have these weird competitive games with them. Um, but most fans expected to be at best one and one or, or own two going to a winnable game with the jets. But it's a resurgence of the things that I think that fans have seen over the last three or four years with the conservative play calling and the inconsistent line play and the weird, uh, some of the weird coverages and special team play that makes people nervous going into the jets game. The thing that makes me nervous going into the jets game is, um, is the history is the, the recent history of it. And we talked a little bit about it on Twitter today, but, um, last year's Jets-Browns game was just one of the sloppiest, messiest games of the season. Like, it might have been the worst game of the season, uh, unless you count that Green Bay debacle um, where they came back towards the end of the game and, and, and won in overtime. But uh, it was a game that was just absolutely riddled by turnovers. The Browns couldn't make a field goal, couldn't score in the red zone, uh, played sloppy football, and ended up losing what looked like a more decisive uh, tally at the end than it really was. It was a game that the Browns pretty much controlled the whole way through. So with those things in check... Theoretically, you know, a better uh, offensive game plan, better execution and less turnovers, you'd think that the Browns would win going away. But there's just something about um, the way that Sam Darnold is able to make things happen when plays break down and the way that the Jets have played the Browns during their last two meetings that makes me uncomfortable. Mike, specifically, do you think that there's something coming into this game that the Browns will, will kind of utilize to, to make the matchup seem a little bit more in their favor? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, we've got to... I think we've got to ride the momentum that we have on defense, especially with the production that we're seeing from the, the interior with Ogan Joby. Um, you know, Garrett is going to force double teams. I think we've we've got to find ways to get pressure on on Darnold. I think from from the middle of the field as opposed to just from the edge. So I'm going to be interested to see you know kind of what Greg dials up there. Um, I'm I'm a little concerned with you know with Randall looking like he's going to be out. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is going to be out. Um, but on the flip side, on the on the flip side, the Jets also lost their starting free safety. And I think I saw some some statistic that Zagora had had tweeted out this morning before he was uh, maybe it was before <laughs> he was suspended. But I, I don't know. That's a that's a whole. That is just a, a bizarre uh, series of events, but we can talk about that later. But yeah, I think that they're they're replacing free safety has been been targeted um, not a lot of times, but the the, the effectiveness um, from the offensive side against them has been great. I think there's two touchdowns and some big yardage and, and catches against them. So it'd be interesting to see what what Todd Haley draws up to you know to exploit that. But um, yeah, I mean we really need to get. Um, <clears throat> Majoku going, I think that's something I'm looking forward to, uh, and and that's going to help the offense as well with the loss, well, or the limited ability of, of Landry tomorrow. So I think the, the the underlying thing that's there for me every week so far is the, the running back situation. You know, we we haven't been utilizing uh, Duke Johnson at all, surprisingly, and. Yeah, I mean, we've got to do something to get the running game going and to get Duke Johnson involved. Yeah, I I agree. And it just makes it much more strange that we just paid him. (laughs) So, you know, why they can't seem to figure out what to do with them after they signed him to an extension just makes it all the more baffling to me. Um, We just haven't been run blocking very well. And from what what I've seen, they – 
you know, the the guards haven't been doing with and it might have something to do with how we shuffled this line. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, have the injuries in camp, things like that. But uh, they've done a really good job pass blocking, but their run blocking has been pretty awful. So I, that definitely plays into it's not just the running backs. It's, you know, it's the schemes. They're trying to run these double tight end sets and and we're still not blocking them. We're drawing everybody into the box, running against eight man fronts, things like that. I don't think we're setting ourselves up for success there. Yeah, it, it's really weird. The Every year we seem to have the same problem where we look at the line as the individual parts of it and we say that this should be a, a line that is able to impose its will on defenses. This is a line that has two all-pro caliber guards, you know, above average uh, center, and at least before this year, some really good tackles. But it always feels like there's one piece that's out of sync with the rest of that line, and there's always something that's mm-hmm. keeping the line from being able to, to function as a unit. And before the easy answer that fans will come up with and say, oh, well, you know, uh, they're running into a stacked box – Like, there are teams historically in the last 10 years that have been able to at least have a uh, moderately effective run game, even with terrible quarterback play. I mean, we saw out in San Francisco with Harbaugh, we saw them do it year in, year out. Um, And they had a lot of talent on that line that led to that. But um, I really thought that this year, Todd Haley would kind of fold in a quick passing game and, and a little bit more of a screen game, functional screen game with Duke Johnson that would kind of fix both of those issues. Like, hey, if we can get the defense to back up and stop run blitzing us, stop crashing down the line, and also uh, get plays that, that um, reward the offense and punish the defense for doing that, like those kind of screens that we might be able to um, we might be able to mitigate some of that and get more of a consistent run game. But through two games, that has easily been the biggest uh, concern on offense is uh, the, the low yards per carry for Hyde, the lack of touches for Chubb and Duke, and just the overall commitment to a inefficient run game, which is, is stifling the offense as a whole. And I'm, I'm curious to see what they can do to, to, to get around that. Is there is there anything else you guys think uh, in the short term they can do to, to rectify that besides getting time and experience on that line and getting these guys used to playing together? I'd like to see them spread the ball out a little bit more. You know, I, I like I said, they, they seem to be running this, um, you know, this 21 and 12 personnel, you know, two tight ends or, or with a fullback and just drawing the defenders into these boxes and then failing. And I, I'd just like to see them spread the ball out more in some, uh, you know, in some three wide receiver sets and run the ball out of that, uh, you know, some some misdirection uh you know uh something like that because we we just don't seem to be uh I, i've seen enough eight-man boxes for a while and uh, you know for two yards so uh, i just uh, don't think we're we're putting ourselves in a good spot you know blockers versus men in the box yeah i i agree with that and i think part part of the problem i've been seeing is that our tight ends have not been blocking very well and and that you know you, you have two tight ends on, on the line and, and you're allowing guys to come in and get pressure it's, it's just not helping the system to be successful so I, you know i was watching some of the film from from mahomes recently and i i can't agree with you more i think possibly spreading the field out getting a couple more options in wide receiver and i think that that's something that they can look at in the short term for sure yeah yeah and, and you know we've been talking about it a bit some of it is just uh familiarity and trust and rhythm it's what the browns keep saying and they're absolutely right when you go back and you look at the tape and this is something that i think john can talk to more than anybody with some of the work he's doing over at uh the browns film breakdown podcast which i highly recommend anybody who's listening to this all seven of our viewers please go and check that out too <laughs> um it's a great podcast and they're finally on itunes uh where, where we hope to be in the next week or two 
Um, I had to complain, by the way. I had to complain to get it done. Just oh, so is, that the, is that the trick? You have to like get up into somebody's grill? Yep. I went over two weeks and finally complained, and then it, it happened within two days. Oh, okay. Maybe we should start complaining now. But um, what, what we're seeing through some of these film breakdowns is that even when they have advantageous numbers for the running game, um, they're still failing to execute. Guys aren't getting the right hats on the right hats. You're, you're not seeing the right double teams. And as Mike alluded to, when the tight ends or uh, Orson Charles are being expected to contribute and to jump in, like those handoffs and those double teams and those passing uh, of responsibilities just aren't happening effectively. And a lot of that can be attributed to uh, these guys just being new to playing with each other and new to playing in the system, which uh, I expect that unlike in seasons past, if we're going to see improvement over the course of the year, that's going to be why. We're going to see improvement over the year because these guys are getting used to playing with each other uh, and they'll start to execute the game plan better because they're, when you go back and you look at it, there's a lot of opportunities uh, that this team has on offense that they're just not taking, taking advantage of, which to me says this isn't necessarily a problem with play calling. It's a problem with their strategy of trying to play conservative football and not executing the limited opportunities they have. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can talk for a while on this. I'm not going to take up too much space here doing it, but um, I, I have a problem with the philosophy that they're trying to execute here. I get it. Like, it seems like they're, you know, I, I said this on the podcast, uh, they, you know, they're kind of trying to play trestle ball only with mm. terrible special teams, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, we can't we can't cover kicks. Uh, we can't make kicks. We can punt, and uh, you know, but uh, which is the most important play in football, according to Trestle. But I, I don't think this is it's not winning football in the National Football League right now to to try and do that. And I just I don't think we have to. So you know, it really uh, you know, and I know that um, I know that you have this point as well. Is you know, I think this plays into the uh, you know Hugh. I said this earlier on Twitter. You know, he's going to give himself you know hemorrhoids from clenching his <laughs> his butt all sunday with this strategy you know it's just that, that that seems like what we're trying to do this is just you know um it it seems like they are angling for these types of games that we've seen you know at first maybe it was the storm and you could think that that but we did the same thing out in new orleans so you know i think it's time to start believing what you're seeing out there you know and uh hugh's driving this bus and uh, he's he's he's, uh, he's the man in the big seat you know uh you know even something as simple as as these kick returners you know where you know, peppers for whatever reason his his ability to to return kicks has not translated to the pros for whatever reason i don't i don't have the answers for that uh but uh you know callaway looked really nice uh in the preseason and hugh seems to you know according to the special teams coach have overruled that decision and decided that Callaway is not going to be returning uh, kicks. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just um, I think it's a frustrating strategy, and I don't think it plays to the strengths to the team. And I think that's, you know, why we're sitting at 0-1-1 when we could have won both these games. Yeah, and the people that come back and return with, well, we have to play conservative or else we're going to get the doors blown off by Roethlisberger and Breeze and these quality quarterbacks we're playing. Like, I understand the logic there, but that is going to happen anyway in one of these games. If the Browns can't score 30 points – against these teams in this NFL era, the opportunities are there for the other team. They just haven't capitalized on it. It isn't some uh, magical performance of the defense that's keeping people from scoring points on the team and from the Browns having to answer up. It is just missed chances. It's just small missed execution points. If you go back and look at the Pittsburgh video, if you go back and look at the uh, Saints tape, there were multiple touchdowns that the guys just missed on. 
there was a touch pass in the end zone to Watson that he overthrew that turned into three. And then there oh, was yeah. a wide open – I don't remember who the receiver was, but there was a wide Again. open route. Oh, yeah, it was Ted Ginn, where Randall made a play on the ball that that was great, but the ball was horribly overthrown, and the receiver had two steps on the free safety. Like, these plays are going to happen later in the season. Like, and I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer Browns fan. These are plays that good offenses execute and that, for whatever reason, these two teams just missed on. And we can't count on that luck. We can't count on the other team to beat themselves every week. Eventually, the Browns are going to have to go out and actually beat somebody. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, Hugh has this strategy like you guys are talking about. To, it's almost as though like in his, in his off-season meeting with Jimmy Haslam, the, the issue that was identified was playing young, talented guys versus quote-unquote veteran guys or guys who – it's really odd that he is, you know, choosing to make, um, uh, you know, choices like putting um, Peppers in there instead of Callaway because all Peppers has, has done is he's just fair caught the ball, really. I mean, he's had a couple good uh, returns on kickoffs, but that's, that's about it. Um, and it just seems very conservative and it seems very misguided that we, you know, the, the powers that be in Cleveland feel that we can just switch it on in the fourth quarter and then all of a sudden start taking chances and win a game when, you know, we haven't scored 30 points in a game and I don't even know how long it's been quite a while. So I think we, you know, we, we definitely need to, um, attack more. And, and I attributed the, the lack of attack in the first game, obviously to the monsoon went back and I looked at the tape and I was pretty adamant that there was maybe two or three missed opportunities, but, but really not that much to gripe about. Um, and new Orleans, I think was a, a different story. And again, we, we've got to start putting the pedal to the metal. Um, because like Josh, like you just said, there's, there's no way we're going to, we can expect the defense to continue to carry the team, um, and expect us just to, to magically convert points, um, you know, from behind. It's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly agree. I want to see this team be able to rely on all three aspects of this game, and I think the special teams is going to be mostly hopeless this year, unfortunately. I know that's, again, like a really negative thing to say after the second week. But Amos Jones has a history of not having the most inspiring special teams group, and when you combine that with Colquitt's under-enthusiastic under um punt effort so far this season and the return game not getting anything going um I, I just have very low hopes for it but the offense has to be able to reward the defense for 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 the good plays and for getting stops um and speaking of that defense i want to talk a little bit about how we got to this point um for however um it translated from last year to this year it seems like some of the uh, issues that the browns defense had last year have been cleared up there's still some tendency to send a, a remarkable amount of blitzers out and um leave the middle of the field open at times, but I've noticed that there's a market improvement between two games in the overall scheme. Mike, can you talk to a little bit about what you've seen and why you think that that scheme is improving and how that those improvements may throw a guy like Sam Darnold off his game? Uh, John, would you like to talk about any of those issues? Yeah, sure. I, I can hop in here. Uh, the, you know, one of the things that uh, you alluded to, and I have to, I have to agree, uh, especially this last week, uh, I was really, really uh, excited uh, to see Greg not get over aggressive against Drew Brees. And for the first time ever in the last year, I complimented Greg Williams game plan for the week and how it was executed. Mm -hmm. I thought he did a good job mixing up coverages and, um, you know, dropping guys back and, and disguising some things, getting a couple timely blitzes. I would have liked to have seen them try and move miles in uh, inside a little bit, either on some stunts or just lining them up there. They didn't really do that much, but luckily Larry Ogajobi was ready to take advantage of the attention miles got on the outside anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And uh, just to kind of get to this week real quick, and then I'll hand it off to Mike here, but the uh, I, I would like to see a somewhat similar plan um, against uh, the Jets. Uh, I think that uh, Sam... If he gets comfortably out uh, outside of the structure, he's really, really dangerous. But if you can manage to take away that first read, um, you know, I didn't think he had a great game last week. He wasn't very accurate. And I think that uh, if you can take away that first read, you can get you can get some bad decisions made, some quick throws that that aren't on target i think that there are things that you can take advantage of there for now i mean sam sam's is going to be a good quarterback but for right now i think that there are ways to take advantage of his inexperience um, there's not a ton of you know uh, mixed coverages that he saw out in the pack 10 um you know what do you think mike as far as what you've seen so far yes i i, I think it's going to be important to um to get good pressure from the middle. Again, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, especially against a, a rookie quarterback. If you get pressure early in the middle from him, it's, it's going to cause him all sorts of disruption. It's going to, it's going to move his eyes around. And um, I, I think it's just going to be an issue for him. So I think that, that coupled with, you know, you've got miles Garrett rushing off the edge, who's going to command two players. And then the addition of Avery, who, who really has been uh, just one of the best stories of the, the Browns draft and the Browns season so far, you know, it's a mystery how he made it down to round five, but um, he's been performing like a, like a, you know, second round player. He's been great. So, you know, I think getting an effective rush from, from four or five guys and then bringing guys back in coverage uh, to kind of, you know, spy on the quarterback and then just keep the, the underneath routes covered is going to be important. Um, I noticed looking at Donald's next-gen stats, that, you know, he's got a couple deep balls on the season, but for the most part, he's been, you know, hitting a lot of the underneath routes. Um, and so taking those two things away from him, again, getting pressure up the middle, causing him to, to move his eyes off his routes, and then, you know, keeping him contained and, and taking away his bread and butter underneath, I think, um, are going to be some keys to, to us uh, effectively getting after him and, and causing him trouble. Yeah, I want to tag into what Mike's saying there. Like, I think that the underneath route stuff is actually really critical. I think that there's a lot of philosophical similarities between uh, what they're running this year, what John Morton ran last year, and what we saw from uh, John DeFilippo in Cleveland in 2015, in that this is a scheme that's meant to use motion misdirection and underneath routes um, to, to give – the quarterbacks uh, an easier read these, these are one or two reads and go type offenses mm-hmm. a lot of rpos um and and they've been very effective in that that's how you saw a season like what josh mccown authored last year before he got hurt um you saw them taking away these complex downfield routes and just keeping it easy keeping it simple playing field position games um and, and trying to minimize mistakes so i don't i don't think that they will deviate from that script very much against the browns given the success the browns have had defensively this thus far the browns have to be disciplined they have to take away the underneath stuff they have to make sam darnold beat them on beat them on his second or third read rather than giving them those easy underneath pockets to, to convert the third and short type plays yeah, I'd like to see them win. For, I mean, I guess this is a pretty common thing to say, but uh, in just watching the, the Jets game last week, I thought where Miami really succeeded is when they when they won first down. When they won first down against the Jets, the Jets seemed to have a hard time um, getting their first downs. But you know when uh, you know when they get that those quick passes and and turn you know first and tens into second and fours or or first downs right away i mean that's that's where the jets kind of get in the groove so i i think if we we can win first down i don't think they're going to score very many points on us 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's very true. And I think that that's a, a very makeable goal. And that's why I'm terrified of this game, because I think it's a very makeable goal. We look at strengths on, on strengths, strengths on weaknesses, and we say this through two games looks like a game that the Browns uh, should have a clear advantage in. And that's what Vegas thinks with a you know at, at, at least a three-and-a-half-point line. Uh, but until the Browns win one game and take the lid off of that winless streak, um, there's going to be doubts. And I'm going to continue to express doubts. Um, the thing going into this game that I am most concerned about is, and, and I'll lead this off, and, and I want your guys' thoughts on this, is I'm most concerned about the depth of the wide receiver group. Uh, I know the Browns are structured in, in, in a way in which they can um, they can get offensive productivity out of the, their tight ends, out of their uh, you know out of the running backs. Uh, and out of a wide range of receivers, but the only guys they played last week, or really the only guys they played to this point in the season, are the three guys who saw snaps last week in in Landry, uh, Callaway, and Higgins. And I think with a limited uh, Landry, who has been the security blanket for Tyrod all camp, um, or even just like a slowed down Landry, the Browns are relying on a lot of unknown quantities. Uh, Rashad Higgins is not necessarily a, a well-established receiver. I know that he's been around now. Uh, for a little bit, but um, he's still kind of finding his way in his third season and finding his way into to, to a lot more snaps. Uh, Callaway is still largely a complete unknown, uh, and and outside of that, you're playing guys like Ratley and Derek Willies that Tyrod doesn't have a whole lot of uh, concern in or a lot of uh, faith in or a lot of chemistry with. Um, Mike, what are your biggest constraints <laughs> and concerns going into this game? Josh, you forgot our, our boy Rod Streeter. I didn't forget him. Big things from there. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't forget him. He's he's there. He exists. That was that. Does, that doesn't make you feel better about the position. You know, I actually really liked Rod Street. Didn't he play for the Raiders like four or five years ago? And when he was coming out of that system in free agency, I really liked him. I was like, oh, this is the guy that you should take a chance on four years ago because he was a, a big body who um, you thought could do some things, but he just he, he remained Rod Streeter. Moral of the story. <laughs> he he did, never, indeed. Never, he never turned into anything else. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder with the wide receiver position. They, they certainly are concerned, especially if Landry's nicked up a little bit. Um, the depth is going to be, is going to be challenged for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Callaway. I think we all are. I, we talked about this, Josh, right after the draft. I was excited about Callaway, um, and that's, that's continued to be the case. And I'm, I'm happy to see him doing what he's doing. Um, for me, though, I think the biggest concern is going to be the running game. I, I want to see us get a consistent running game going to control the tempo of the game, to wear down the defense, you know, to keep Sam Darnold off the field, keep him cold, not really let him get a rhythm. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's going to be important to, to me to see. And, I, and I'm concerned that we're not going to be able to do it. Um, you know, the Jets had a really good first, uh, first outing against um, the Lions, obviously, you know, had a, a ton of interceptions. Uh, and then last week they were able to get to the quarterback, I think four times, um, even though they gave up more points and lost, they were able to get some pressure. So um, again, if we, if we can run the ball, which I'm not too convinced that we're going to be able to do it um, and get guys involved like Duke Johnson and, and Chubb, uh, but whatever combination of, of running backs we use, just get the running game going. Uh, that's going to be my, my biggest concern going into uh, to tomorrow. Right on. Uh, John, what do you think? What are your biggest concerns going into uh, Armageddon? Yeah, well, I want to see how um, how we do in the secondary against some of these receivers that uh, New York is going to trot out. Uh, Anderson is solid. Um, 
a solid receiver that you got to keep an eye on. Uh, Inunwa uh, has been pretty impressive mm-hmm. to me. I mean, he's uh, you know really good with with the ball in his hands. I mean, he's going to do things that we talk about those underneath routes and and it's most dangerous in his hands. Uh, I think after the catch. So you know what we're going to do in the slot there. You know they move him around a bit, um, but you know whether or not we're going to have uh, you know Kerry. I guess is going to be the guy there uh, because we may have to have BBC at free safety. I don't know that that's the case for sure yet. They haven't ruled out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, shoot, they they haven't ruled out. Samaria um, Randall. Yep. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, Demarius Randall yet. Um, and I would love to still have him. And BBC did look good in the preseason in his snaps at free safety. But um, it's still kind of a, an unknown here as far as uh, how he'd perform there in the deep game in real games. So, um, you know, I'm not really concerned about Ward. Um, I'm just not sure how they're going to move things around. You know, they uh, what he'll do, what Bates will do, uh, I was talking about this in the podcast too, is he will run these like empty sets and four wide receiver sets, but off of like base personnel. So he'll have like a, you know, um, he'll have a tight end and a running back in there, but he'll motion them out. You know, mm-hmm. I think that some of that's to help uh, Sam identify the uh, the coverages and things like that. But um, he'll do also do that to get some mismatches, get a linebacker on, um, Paul or you know get a um, you know a favorable safety on on a tight end although they don't really have very threatening tight ends so um, I do want to see how we're going to cover in the secondary Anunwa I think is the most dangerous guy there um, and uh, I'm not too concerned about their running game but uh, that would be where they could do the damage right Anunwa I think is is the biggest uh, the biggest scary threat that they have on offense I think <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are it's it, we we will down the Jets' offensive skill talent because it seems like a popular thing to do. But Anuwa, Ter- Terrell Pryor, and Robbie Anderson is a is a trio of receivers that are fast and shifty, and if they get the ball underneath and you don't tackle them quickly, can can make things happen. They can they can cause you trouble. So uh, I think that's really important. They also. You know, I can't remember who it is, but I remember that they have a running back that everybody in the league has to look out for. Mike, can you help me out with who's taking snaps under center over there other than Bilal Powell? Yeah, I think it's the guy that everyone remembers tripping over his own feet and running into the (laughs) offensive line's tailbone. Everyone's favorite running back, uh, Mr. Isaiah Crowell. Yes, so it'll be interesting to see how he performs, but... I mean, he had a great game versus the Lions, and everyone's like, oh, my God, now he's like, this is this is who you guys gave away. But, yeah, I mean, he's, I think, who we thought he was. And I'm not too worried about it. I think he, he's going to be extra motivated uh, to come in to, to Cleveland and play well. So it'll be gotcha. interesting to see how, how well he does. You betcha. You betcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a lot of revenge games going on here. We got the Josh McCown yeah. from the sideline clipboard revenge game. We've got the Terrell Pryor going to talk a mountain. Yeah. Sh- going to talk a mountain of shit to every single person on the defense and let them know how great he thinks he is. Uh, and we're going to have the Isaiah Kroll. Um, I don't know why my coaches didn't use me like this last year, but here I am again. Revenge game. Um, don't forget about Buster. 
Oh, the Buster Screen Revenge game. I almost left that <laughs> off the list. You're right. Um, he actually has been uh, catching a lot of flack from uh, oh, analytics yeah. folks because um, apparently he's moved beyond just grabbing people um, and, and committing egregious defensive pass interference penalties, and he's now moved on to actually playing bad defense along with it. So um, I'm glad he's on. I'm glad he's on the field. Uh, I feel like Buster Screen was a real lightning rod for fans in his couple years here because he was a guy who who had good coverage typically. Um, but just didn't know how to not commit penalties. Like, he just could not help himself. And so week in, week out, that was the thing I felt like we were all uh, arguing and fighting about uh, on Twitter and on Dogs by Nature. Um, what's the thing you guys are hoping to see the most of this year? What are the things, the, the, the subtle changes in personnel uh, playing time that you guys are looking forward to seeing uh, this week and going forward? If I could jump in here real quick, uh, I, I expressed these concerns on Twitter too. Uh, so, you know, People were talking a little bit about Miles Garrett and how many snaps he was playing uh, mm-hmm. last year. He was playing about 70% of the snaps. And um, they seem to have gone way off the deep end on the other side of this because he's in you know in better shape now. He has played, I think, all but one play this year. Mm-hmm. I don't love that, you know, and I'm not sure that it's the best for, you know, his production also, you know, I'd like to see him a little closer to 90 and now we got a short week here and I'm not sure that, you know, having played every play, including a five quarter game, uh, you know, every play except for one, uh, come back on a short week. I know he's young. I know, you know, this would be when he would be able to do it in his career if at all. But, um, you know, I just, I'm not sure that you're getting the fourth quarter miles Garrett. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, he did it in the Pittsburgh game. Great. But if you continue to do that week after week, I don't think that you're going to get what you really want in the fourth quarter out of miles Garrett. It's just a small, like, personnel issue that I kind of have right now. Yeah, I think joining in on that, I think what I want to see is what kind of an impact some of these waiver wire guys can, can make in the game, like like Davis and Odin Igbo. I think mm-hmm. both of those guys have, have an opportunity to, to help out in that regard. And specifically the latter, I think he can come in and, you know, he was the, you know, the, the product of a, a really good or being cut from a really good Viking squad. He was really deep at that position. So I, I hope he can come in and I hope he can provide us some great pressure from the edge to, to give miles some, some blow and, and let him take a break and the breather and um, keep his energy level up for the fourth quarter. So we can, you know, continue that pressure. Uh, but even even Davis, I mean, he he's kind of a, a multi-gap guy who can do a lot of damage inside and out. And I, I'm looking forward to see what, what he can do and what kind of, uh, you know, what he can contribute, which we haven't seen up to this point, which, to, you know, is kind of interesting that we, we're going to bring these guys on for players that, you know, essentially had roles, at least within the defense. And, um, I, you know, I want to get them involved and, and see what they can do as soon as possible. And I'm looking for that against the Jets. Yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned Zettel in there, but that's another guy that I'm hoping like we start to see um, some of these guys rotate in that are that are pure pass rushers, so you can blow Miles Gary at least in obvious passing downs, yep. keep him fresh for the fourth quarter. Um, the one thing I'm hoping to see um, specifically is I'm hoping to see a little a lot more Duke Johnson in this game, and I know that's a common complaint for Browns fans, but uh, specifically what I'd like to see them do is I'd like to see them motion him uh, for one back sets uh, out into the slot and then see what the defense does in return for that. See whether the defense is going to cheat over and, and move a linebacker over or move, move a, de- a dedicated defensive back over to, to watch him, or if not, 
you know, hit those, hit them for quick outs, hit them for the quick routes. And if they do want to devote resources for it, I'd like to see Tyrod Taylor take advantage of that with his legs. We know that this Jets team is, is highly, highly susceptible to, to quarterback runs. We saw Ryan Tannehill take advantage of it more than a few times last week. And I think mm-hmm. that, especially on the short week, if you can get numbers mismatches in the passing game, use them quickly. And if not, Use your legs, use the use the uh, dual threat ability of your quarterback to open up things in the passing game, so you can get some rhythm. Because I think that that will be an opportunity for uh, for Tyrod to get some rhythm. I'd also like to see uh, Tyrod selling some of these fakes a little bit better. Uh, that, that's one other little. Um, a criticism that I would have. They don't really seem to be selling these play action fakes. I think that it's hurting our screen game. I think that it's hurting uh, some of these play action um, plays that they're trying to run. I don't think we do a good job, you know, and it's not just with Tyrod, but I, I think as a unit, they're just not really doing a great job uh, selling these things. And, and if you're not doing a great job selling these things, I think that's what you're seeing play out when our screens are awful and when, you know, our play action action isn't working that well either yeah yeah i agree i think that um i think it's uh, going to be very important for them to uh to not only utilize that and those dual threats but also like to sell what they're trying to do a little bit better i agree that it's been tough and that's why i think that the uh the reverse that they ran with callaway last week was so interesting because it was sold so well and that wasn't something that the browns have been doing well up to that point and i think right. they have to have that kind of execution on a lot more things than that um in this week and going forward but um I'm very excited for this game. I think that everybody is because I think that this is a real turning point for this Brown season. Um, the sooner they can get off of this winless snide and begin uh, working their way into, you know, kind of just being a normal run-of-the-mill organization, even if they don't win a ton of games, um, but they still, but they manage to win a couple early on, I think it'll it'll let players loosen up and have fun and play to their strengths and um, – and not uh, be, be worrying like the, the the world is on their shoulder every single game as they try and get out from under this. Um, so with that, I'm going to close out. Any final thoughts, Mr. Krupka? No, I just, I mean, <clears throat> I guess yes, but just <laughs> my, minor. You know, I'm 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 still a proponent of of uh, keeping one Baker Mayfield on the bench. I think um, it's it's the best move for him. Um, you know, and I don't think he's going to change any of the other issues that we've seen from the Browns team so far in our, and or our lack of execution. Um, so still a proponent of that. Um, looking forward to seeing what uh, what our tight ends can do as well tomorrow night. And um, other than that, yeah, let's get our first win and, and, and move along here. Absolutely. And John, final thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me inject a little positivity here. Um, I think we're gonna win. <laughs> you know, oh, so oh. so much <laughs> so much so that I put some dollars <laughs> on it. All right, Woo. I put dollars on the line. I think the Browns are gonna win. I'm excited for this game. Uh, I haven't gone into any game, money or no, uh, thinking that the Browns were going to win. I mean, I'm sure many times I thought we had a chance, but uh, it's been maybe over a season and a half that I went into a game saying we are going to win this game. I think that's this game. I think we're going to win. Uh, I think it's going to be a good Thursday night. Um, I think we're going to get the better of uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the first win of this season and maybe heading out to the West Coast here for a second win. Mm. Well, you guys heard it here first. Make sure you <laughs> uh, make sure you at John at, at J Cosmo on Thursday night. If things don't go as expected, I'm sure the combined uh, 
Armageddon of his team and his loss of money will make him a great sport about uh, making jokes <laughs> about this game if it doesn't work yeah. out. <laughs> so, fellas, it was a pleasure as always. Um, let's try and come up with a name for this podcast between now and the next one. Um, if any of our seven um, listener, if any of our seven listeners make it to this point, um, forty-five minutes in the podcast, uh, send us a message on Twitter. You can hit us at uh, Hawaii Brown Tui, uh, at Josh DBN or Jay Cosmo. Give us your thoughts on what you think we should be named. And uh, and if nobody hits us up, I'll just assume that nobody's listening to this. And uh, you can all go <laughs> f- yourselves in return for that. So <laughs> beautiful. This is this is Josh. This is Josh, Mike, and John signing off. And go Browns tomorrow. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. <laughs>